Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Hockey News on the E! Podcast. I'm Jacob Stoller from the Hockey News alongside Justin Cohn from the Fort Wayne Journal-Gazette. And uh, I thought I was going to be opening this with like a Wichita on six type of type of angle. Last episode kind of gave me an easy segue to this week, but then, then some game seven madness happened. It was at an all time before we get to it. Just is it fair to say, Justin, you're coming off one of the greatest finish or most puzzling finishes you've seen in a playoff game. Easily the most controversial finish I have seen in a playoff game. And, and so controversial that, I mean, it was, it was one of these strange things that so many people thought that an injustice had, had happened that you have fans from around the league in rival cities saying, in this case, Fort Wayne got hosed. Uh, like, you know something's wrong if even fans in Toledo are looking at like, Hmm, yeah, Fort Wayne kind of got jobbed on that one. Uh, so yes, hundred percent controversial uh, to the point like the ECHL had to turn off its comments on some of its social media because it was getting just railroaded there, and very prophetic because I'm sure we're going to talk about when Joe Ernst was on this program a couple months ago, some things that he said. But, uh, you know, just to give you the very abridged version of what happened here, Fort Wayne in game seven against Cincinnati. So this has the potential to be one of the biggest upsets in ECHL history. It's at Cincinnati. It is one to nothing Cyclones. There is a minute 11 remaining in the third period. Fort Wayne scores. It was Oliver Cooper redirecting a Darian Kelb shot. We all thought we were probably going to overtime. They were getting ready to drop the puck. And then lo and behold, a linesman says, we need to go look at the review of this. And they determine it was goaltender interference. I I know you may have some different views on it than me, but I will say that this isn't scientific, but I would say about 90% of the people that I spoke to in a lot of different cities, people that have no dog in this hunt, looked at it and said, no way was that goaltender interference, but we are where we are. I would agree with that. I don't think it was goaltender interference. I don't like what, so we talked about it before, but for those that don't know, what are the rules with regards to reviewing plays in the ECHL? Because I know in the AHL, different buildings have different technology. They have to even the, the playing field. How does it work in the ECHL for that? Well, so first off, just to describe what happened here very briefly. So, Samuel Dove McFalls was a player who's kind of cutting across right in front of the goal. And he does make some very mild contact with the goaltender Beck Warm as the puck goes by him. And really the dispute here is, was Dove McFalls at all in the blue area? I can show you all sorts of freeze frames where people have diagrammed it. And, you know, my opinion is, is no. Uh, but to answer your question, yeah, 
It's not like it is in the NHL, of course. It's probably not at all like it is in the AHL. You could tell me more about that. But there is an overhead camera in all the arenas over both goals through a system called Sporfy. So for a, 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 a review is typically initiated by the officials themselves. There's no coaches challenge, nothing like that. Nobody calling from the home office saying we need to review this. So it's totally up to the officials. They look at a tablet, which gives them an overhead view, and that's it. Now, there are some conspiracy theories with this. I'm not a conspiracy theory guy. However, I did witness some of this. There is a supervisor of officials. He is sitting right in front of me. He's very clearly on his cell phone. Is he talking to the people in the press box, or excuse me, in the penalty box, the officials? I believe that he was. Um, is it okay if he maybe made the call? I, you know, I, I don't know. Did Joe Ernst, wherever he was at, was he on the call? Was he talking to the people in the right, press you're box? You're saying who's the situation room in this instance? Right. It's like, yeah, you don't throw it to New York and let them make the call. The officials are supposed to be making the call. So that's one conspiracy theory there. Now, and we'll talk about this in a second, how you fix some of this stuff. But I personally don't care who makes the call. I just want the right call made. You know, you can bring 50 people in there and I'm fine with that. But here's the other element is they're not supposed to be looking at any other reviews. So if you catch a glimpse of the scoreboard, and you see some other angle, you're not really supposed to be doing that. And the reason is they want uniformity from arena to arena. Some arenas have nice scoreboards. Some of them have HD quality. Some of them have TV level broadcasts. You're really just supposed to be looking at the tablet. Now, again, I don't personally agree with that either, but that's the way it's supposed to be. So if this linesman saw a replay on the scoreboard, And that's why he stepped in at the 11th hour and said, we need to review that. There are some elements there that make people uncomfortable as well. Was it a lengthy review? It was very lengthy. Uh, You know, it felt like an eternity. I would say it was at least five minutes. I mean, it was enough time for me to clip two different angles, post it on social media and still be waiting for the decision. Um, you know, so it's just the, the vibe that I've gotten from most people is this was such a mild bit of interference, if it even was interference. Yeah, that's, that's what I would yeah. think, too. It's like it, like whether or not it is is one thing. But also, let's say it is. Did it really impact the net minder that much that you have to call that the goal? Well, that's, you know, and we're always saying let the players decide it. And this was just a good hockey player where there was very little bit of contact. But further context is it was very mild compared to things we had seen throughout that game, throughout that series. In game six, goaltenders were getting bowled over left and right. No interference was called. No reviews for interference were called. So to suddenly step in with 111 remaining in the third period when you know you're ending a team season was something I had not really seen before. And, you know, I mentioned this before. So we had Joe Ernst, who is the senior VP of hockey operations, the person who is in charge of officiating. And we had him on this program and he, he was very frank. Remember, probably. <laughs> well, he was very frank on this program that he hates goaltender interference. And one of the rationales he had was we're giving the goaltenders too much help. Like we're making it so 
they can't ever be touched, obstructed, you know, you know, like, so it's just almost mind boggling to me to go back and listen to those two minutes and now understand that this is what decided Fort Wayne season and moved Cincinnati into the next round. But, you know, he came out and defended the call. So the league has said the right call was made. I have no problem with that. Like people are crushing Joe Ernst for that. Like, what's he going to do? He's going to say, Oh, we, we blew it. Like, this is not, a league where you do that. You have to stand by your guys. And I will say, you know, it's such an unenviable position to be an official, you know, they go through such terrible stuff. They're never going to get everything right. But this was just one that there were so many people involved that I couldn't believe that they got it wrong. It's my opinion that they got it wrong. Not everybody agrees. Tim Peel, former NHL official. Now, some people would say, this is all the, he said it was the right call for some people. That means, Oh, that it absolutely was the wrong call. I've talked to uh, a director of officiating from uh, another league. He looked at it. He said, look, I I think this was interference, but again, context, you know, it's very easy to jump in, look at one review and say, Ooh, you know, that was interference. But if they've been allowing the same thing to go throughout the entire game and then they call it, then that does change it. So Wild thing. The players definitely feel like there is a, a disservice has been done. Um, you know, maybe it's a little bit of a segue into some officiating kind of ideas that I have had. Um, you know, it, it doesn't go ahead. Sir. If you don't mind, like how many years ago was it that the MLB introduced the, the pitch count? Not many. Like five years. Yeah, probably about that. You know, like there, there's things like that, that, come with innovation i think that the officiating is the next kind of step i think for hockey like it's at every level now people are getting annoyed because it's not really you're not calling by the book there's a lot of game managing like that's kind of the issue i think that people are discussing now yeah i mean look goaltender interference is certainly the most controversial thing because you know 20 people can look at the same clip and have you know wildly different opinions on it and i I certainly don't think we're ever going to fix it it's very much the equivalent of pass interference in the nfl you know, it's like, is this interference? Is that interference? Why is it changed from game to game? Why are we deciding games? There's no, there's no perfect thing here. But, you know, I, I just think that the, the basic thought here is let the players decide it on the ice. And here's the biggest thing I'll leave you with on, on this particular call. Nobody from Cincinnati, when it happened, complained that it was interference. Right. Be- Beck Warm would be the first goaltender in history to be interfered with allow a goal and not immediately be up in arms and, and yelling at everybody. You know, I got, he didn't, he didn't react at all. Nobody on the bench reacted at all. And Cincinnati's it was coach. So casual. It was such casual contact. That's ab- why. Absolutely. And Cincinnati's coach, Jason Payne is now saying, Oh, uh, I, there was never a doubt in my mind. It was interference. I knew all along. It's like, well, I didn't see you reacting very, very, you know, adamantly on, on the bench. So, you know, it, it is what it is. It's minor league hockey. You're never going to get this stuff right but this one felt particularly painful to just to watch. Um, yeah, it's finally hawking. You're getting an instant replay to decide like something. So like it, it's, it'd be like the equivalent if they had like an offside call where like they're looking at the guy's blade as, is an inch or two away. Just so like, you really need to be doing this the last two minutes of a game. It's a little yeah. bit ridiculous. Yeah. So, you know, I want to give you just a, a few quick things, you know, that have been bouncing around in my head. It's not particular about goaltender interference, but officiating has been, just such a talking point this season in the ECHL. Like I've never seen it before. Uh, we, we've talked about some of this stuff, obviously, you know, they, they need to uh, 
they they don't have a, a wide pool of of officials to choose from, you know. So people are always saying we got to find better officials. That's not easy to do. You got to find somebody willing to do this. That's why we see so many former players being immediately identified and put into the game because they feel that they have such a better understanding of things. But one of the things that I've seen a lot is, you know, I'd like to see diving called more. You know, they just never call it. I couldn't believe it. I actually saw one called during the playoffs. Um, you know, I had been saying even going into this, so this is why I have no problem with a linesman stepping in and making the call. I'd like to see more of that. You know, you have linesmen there. I don't care whether it's two referee system, one referee system, more eyes on the play. Don't be afraid to step in and say, hey, this is what I saw. Let's take another look at that. There is a player safety account in the ECHL like there is in the NHL, but it's very underutilized. I think they should be doing a better job of, of really educating players, fans, everybody. This is why we are making these decisions, whether it's a penalty, whether it's a suspension, because right now people just don't understand from game to game like what those, is going on. Those yeah. videos the NHL would do. Like 100%. This, yeah. this is a cross check. Yes, exactly. The most clip you'll ever see. Like this is roughing. Yes, exactly. Now, I got a text from somebody who has been on the show but didn't want to be named. But they said, you know, what they'd like to see is greater um, feedback from the coaches after every game on the performance that the referees did. He actually sent me sort of a questionnaire, like you rank from one to five. How did they do on this communication? It Not was a, an idea, honestly. Yeah, well, that's the biggest single thing I hear from coaches is like, look, I, I understand that, um, you know, the, we're not always going to agree on the calls, but there needs to be communication. They need to explain, you know, instead I hear a lot, you know, the official is trying to make it all about them. They're not telling us what's going on, you know. So there's got to be some medium in there, I think, when it comes to communication is another thing. Now, here's the last idea I'll give you. I'm not sure how feasible this is, but I have been thinking about it. A player contacted me a couple of days ago and he said, here's what I think should happen. There are AHL officials who are not working the playoffs, he said. I don't know if that's 100% true. I, Obviously. I think, I think it is. Well, so he's like, why, math. well yes, yeah, so, yeah, you're right, math. But I, I don't know the rotations. Okay, so if there are AHL referees sitting there, this player's idea is why aren't they coming down and working ECHL games in the playoffs? Now, my initial reaction was, well, that's never going to happen. And my thought was, twofold it's really smart though there's not really the synergy between the the ahl officials and the echl officials right. and we know this because players who are becoming rookie officials are are going straight to the ahl not the echl even right. though they should be in these so we know that but also if you do that you're costing echl guys their jobs frankly like this is basically a small business i mean you're going to boot some guy who's been working the ECHL all year to the curb for an AHL guy yeah. who's never called an ECHL game. But I like the concept. Like, why is it different for the officials than it is for the players? You know, players are getting sound of the ECHL to get playoff work done when the AHL playoffs are done. Like, all these Grand Rapids Griffins are down here. Well, so, but also, too, it's like you got in the NHL, if they need an emergency ref, per se, wouldn't they get a person that's in the same region for the AHL games? Uh, say that like, again? Wouldn't they get Wouldn't they get got, so let's say a, an NHL game needed an extra ref. Okay, an NHL game, yeah. 
if for whatever reason a ref couldn't go, wouldn't they then go get the AHL ref in that same region as a replacement? I mean, the way it usually, I'm assuming this is how it works at the NHL. There's usually a third ref in the stands, like in case somebody gets hurt. Like that's how it works in the ECHL. In case a guy goes down, you're not suddenly going with one referee. They pull a guy down from the stands. So they have a backup there. But maybe that that's was sort of my thought. Maybe one of those three is an AHL guy. I don't know. Because one of my big complaints with ECHL officiating when they move to two referees in the playoffs is they don't keep the same pairings together. So like you and I could be working a game Tuesday and then Wednesday, it might be you and producer Connor and I'm sitting in the stands. Like I think they should keep those pairs together so that you get uh, the report. You understand the the eye in the sky, keep the two referees, the referees. Yeah. Well, what happens is sometimes you get a guy that we know is apt to make a lot of calls with a guy who doesn't make any calls and that even that's fine, but we should get used to the pairing. But by mixing and matching, those two guys aren't used to each other. The coaches aren't used to the refs. Nobody's used to anything. So I just think there's a lot of fine-tuning that can be done just to make the officiating a little bit better throughout the season and particularly in the playoffs. Well, I like the, I like the, the line of thinking that you have with the going from the AHL to the ECHL for that. I wonder if the natural or gradual step would be some sort of unification between the ECHL refs and AHL refs, some governing body, whether it's unionized or not that maybe they have the combine together because then it probably makes a lot more sense to kind of have them going up and down if it's kind of yeah, yeah. And, and we've talked about that before there should be more synergy between the officiating at the echl and ahl levels you know guys that are just starting out i, I feel like they should be starting at the echl and then you move your way up just like anybody else unless they're clearly a star um but there isn't that synergy right now i'm not entirely sure why that is but it is something they should definitely look into Let's move on. Toledo is off to a good start against Cincinnati. What have you seen so far? Yeah, so Cincinnati goes now into a series with the Toledo walleye. Toledo had the luxury of sitting there for more than a week resting after sweeping Indy in the first round. So what we've seen so far is Toledo looking very rested and very good. They've won both games, uh, 6-2 to two and 5-2. to two. Now, the first game is absolutely fascinating because we're talking about officiating. It was tied in the third period. Uh, Let's see. uh, It was two to two uh, in the third period. And then what happens? Cincinnati's Sean Allen gets a major, uh, excuse me, a game misconduct for boarding Charlie Curdy. It was a really... It was really a brutal hit, drove him head first into the board. So he gets a major penalty. I'm looking at the box. This was with uh, about 15 minutes left in the game. So we see a five-minute power play, right? Toledo scores four goals on that five-minute power play. So, I mean, talk about just sucking the life out of your team that just won this game seven. Now they're definitely in the hunt in the third period at home. Sean Allen takes this major penalty. So the Toledo Walleye finished that game. This is a playoff game. On the power play, they were five for eight. (laughs) Brandon Hawkins was the one to score the first one. He got it going. Then it was Gordy Green, then Kirill Tutayev, then Trenton Bliss, who we're going to talk about later. So, I mean, Toledo is not a team you want to give power play opportunities. They come back in game two. They didn't get 
any power play opportunities, but what did they do? They scored two goals in the first five minutes of 13 seconds. So they sweep the first two games at the Heritage Bank Center in Cincinnati and now have a 2-0 lead over the division champions going back to Toledo, which might be the toughest place in the league to play. So right now the walleye firing on all cylinders. Now they got a ton of help back from Grand Rapids before the, the playoffs began, but you know they're, they're looking like a real deadly team right now. Team of the week for us is the Newfoundland, Newfoundland Growlers. Uh, Zach O'Brien's still out. How many games have he been now that he's been sidelined? I believe he's been out for two games. Two so, games. yeah, so both games of the series thus far. Obviously a big blow for the Growlers. O'Brien's their MVP, Long has, and it's a real driver for them. Jordan McKay leading the way there between the pipes. Justin, why are they our team of the week? Well, first of all, you, you really have to like the resiliency after losing – O'Brien and then Oren Santazo also took an injury in the last game of the last series. Um, so for them to go into Reading, because this is a series that is a three, four formatted series. So to go into Reading, which is not an easy place to play and is a very good team. You'll recall, I had them winning this series coming into the playoffs. I think that's pretty impressive, but the best thing I've seen is how Newfoundland played in overtime of game two. Now, Newfoundland won that game five to four. You might think, oh, five to four, the officiating or the uh, the goaltending wasn't that good. No, that's that's not the case at all. And Dryden McKay, what he did in that playoff, he uh, excuse me, in the overtime, the best save of the game was a breakaway stop of Charlie Gerard, who's one of the best offensive players in the league in overtime. That was a few minutes before uh, Newfoundland ended up winning that game. Uh, uh, they also faced a uh, Reading power play in that overtime where there was a bunch of chances. So Dryden McKay was really just standing on his head. And I think that goes to show you when you have an AHL caliber goalie, the difference that can make at this level. We saw that in the first round when Trent Miner uh, joined Utah and carried them to some early victories. So what we're seeing Newfoundland do right now is really good. But, you know, it's not just him. I mean, we know Newfoundland is a, a very deep team. They're, uh, you know, getting performances from a lot of good players. And to take out Reading, which is, you know, really multifaceted at both ends of the ice, also as a very good goaltender in Pat Nagel. I mean, one of the best goaltenders in the league. So to go in and win the first two games there, really impressive for Newfoundland. And, um, yeah, go ahead. So for Dryden McKay, too, I mean, for the Leafs, this is exactly what you want. They, they sat him out of college. You know, he was a good college goaltender. You won the uh, Hobie Baker in his last year before the whole – he tested for a, a – was it a performed substance or something? What was it? He oh, gosh. Gosh, I don't, I don't remember that. <laughs> he was So he forgoed his – his eligibility was done, signed with the Marley's organization. This is what you want when you have a good goalie stash down there, to go on a run like this. Yeah, and, I, yeah. And, and you know, like I said, you know, especially with the formats of some of these series, and I, I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about them, I mean, it's so much more important that you do well on home ice if you're Reading in this series. So, you know, a 3-4 series, right? If you're Reading, you have to hold home ice. You have to at least come out with two games. So to drop the first two and know that now you're going to have to go to Newfoundland where it's so hard to play and you've got the travel and you've got all that stuff. And now they know they're going to have to win at least three games out at Newfoundland. So goaltending is so much, it's like amplified even more in a series like this to me. What was that series format you t you tweeted out the other day where you were like, so basically this has gone from a one, one, 
Okay, yeah, so I'm bringing it up here. I don't want to mess this up because it's so confusing. So where this, this was already a weird series. We're talking Idaho versus Allen. So right. this is the Mountain Division Finals. Idaho is the overwhelming favorite to win the whole thing. So it started out as it was going to be a two, five, <laughs> let's see, a two, five, one formatted series, if I'm understanding. Eight. That's eight. Uh, no, that's eight. Yeah. So let me see. A two, four, two formatted series. Is okay. That... No, that's still too much. I'm Wait, still so, I'm so confused on what okay, happened. Something with two home games and then two... a longer stretch. I guess it was two, four, one. It was going to be two, four, one. Okay. Starting in Allen. Okay. But then they had the shootings in Allen on the day of game two. So now they've had to restructure the series again. So now they're just going to move the series back to Idaho. So now it's become a one, four, two series. Does that make sense? Yeah. One, four, two. I'm not good at it. It is embarrassing how much troubleshooting we've had to do to count to seven. Um, but, uh, <laughs> Here's yeah, what you need to know. It was going to start with two games at Allen. Then it was going to go to, to Idaho for we four. the lead on this one. Whatever the math of that is. But now it is a one four two series. So you know, of course, active shooter, all the terrible things that happen there—that's not controllable. But the point is, in the ECHL, you always have to be prepared for we're going to have wild formatted series. And you know, you and I have talked about this a little bit before. But you know, my feeling is what these things tend to do is degrade the value of home ice advantage. I would um, agree. So, and, and speak, by the way, I want you to know, because we never got back to this. We talked a couple of episodes ago about play-in games. Okay. Yeah. And I, and, and, you know, I did get some, I think my, 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 I think my favorite text that I got was, Hey, just listen to the podcast. I don't know what Jacob's talking about. Play, play-in games are, are playoffs every day of the week. But I posted a poll about this. I just, I thought you'd be interested in the poll. It's very scientific, but my question was this. Do you consider play-in games part of the playoffs or not? I got four, I got 35% saying, kind of agreeing with you, no, it's its own thing. I got 23.9% agreeing with me that play-in is playoffs. But I got 40.8% that said, I don't care. Play-in games are stupid either way. So that was my favorite response to that. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but uh, you know, playing games, formats, all this stuff—it just gets wacky. It gets wacky at this level. It really does. Speaking of wacky, what about three-on-three playoff like hockey in overtime at this level? Ooh, I'm glad we don't have that. That's, all I That's pretty interesting. That. No. Oh gosh, I hate that. But the best thing about the playoffs to me is I don't have to worry about shootouts, and I don't have to worry about three-on-three. But if you're if you're asking an interesting question, I'll, let me throw just a, a situation at you because I was watching uh, Jacksonville, Florida the other day. There's a late faceoff in the defensive zone, okay. The and there's one second left on a penalty, okay. So you following me? The shorthanded team yeah. faceoff is in their zone. There's one second left before their guy comes back on the ice. Is that a bigger advantage for the shorthanded team or for the team on the power play? The thinking is, and they talked about this on the broadcast, is if you're the defending team and yeah. you win that faceoff, all of a sudden you got a guy all 
little alone. Okay, but that also, and, sure. I'm not it's saying I'm not saying it's legit, that. but it was I, I hadn't given it a lot of thought. Like just when there's like one or two seconds, if you win that face off and you you make a pass, you got a breakaway. Like I just thought it was an interesting discussion that they had on there. But but you, the look on your face tells me no, you'd rather have the power play. Yeah, I'd rather have the power play. I'll be honest. Uh, of course, but boy, winning that face off suddenly becomes super yeah. important, doesn't it? That is true. Like you almost have to think about maybe leaving the defenseman a little bit further back just in case I would think. Well, or you kind of call their bluff and just realize like, this is just let them be. Yeah. I forget the situation. I think it was a tied game late or maybe it was an overtime. So it was really, That's there awesome. was a discussion that like, boy, this guy gets out. If you've got a play set up for something like this, it could be odd. So I thought it was interesting. Fair. Uh, profit of the week, Trenton bliss of Toledo. Oh, I see why you were asking about three. Okay. What I was talking about, yeah, I'm looking at the notes. You were asking about three on three, right? Yeah. Uh, what I meant was three in three. Okay. Since we're talking about formats, okay. Okay. This, okay. So there have been some situations where they have to play three games in three nights in the playoffs. Yeah. How do you feel about that? Because they they try to avoid that, but this year it's sort the only of. I don't hate it. It's because it's kind of part of the ECHL. Like these play these series are are played that way. So yeah, playoffs are more intense, but the the teams are used to that. Yeah, but you're also like, well, in baseball. In baseball, they have a four game series. What is it? Four game series, five game series. How long the series is? They play two teams uh, play each other. Uh, five. Cardinals is five. Okay. So. You know, that's something that you're used to in baseball. You have a five-game series against them, and that's how it is. ECHL has three and fours, three and threes. It's a byproduct of the sport, right? Like it. Well, but you're are you accounting for a couple of things here? Travel, first of all, and they're not taking chartered planes or anything. So well, they're, they're certainly not going to do it with great distances. Like where this came from yeah. was if Fort Wayne played Toledo, if Fort Wayne had advanced, they were going to play at Toledo on Saturday, Sunday, then come back to Fort Wayne on Monday. How far apart are the two? That's not very far. You're talking two hours. Okay. But but we want our best hockey in the playoffs. You know, you want you don't want guys all banged up. We are limited to once your playoff roster is in, you can't really change it. So, right. you know, Fort Wayne played game seven short of a full lineup. Like, they didn't even have a full contingent of players. They're playing with 18 guys instead of 19. Um, but... So I, I don't know. I you know these teams at this level they want the weekend dates. They want Friday, Saturday. So you have to you have to weigh attendance and making some money versus all this stuff. But they in the ECHL a couple of years ago made a big deal about we're really we're not going to have three and three in the playoffs anymore. It's bad hockey. Nobody wants to see it. And but then it eventually came into account, right? And then it almost came into account. And there something weirder almost came into account. Two people have told me if Indianapolis had somehow beaten Toledo and Fort Wayne had advanced, that series would have been all seven games in Fort Wayne. So a seven-game playoff series all in one city would have happened, and they would have had to split the gate because, because there was something going on in uh, Indianapolis, I think maybe a car auction or something like that. So that's one that I've never seen before. Yeah. That would have been very interesting. It would have been great for me. I, I could have just stayed at home, would have had no travel. Um so anyway, I, that's that was what I wanted to throw out at you. With the, I with see three or three. Okay, my bad. Dan, not on. All right, Trenton Bliss of Toledo, our prospect of the week. 
Yeah, so we've we've talked a little bit about Toledo. Something to keep in mind with them. They are the only team that has yet to lose a game during the playoffs. So they're looking very much the behemoth that they were during the regular season. Trenton Bliss, player I love. He's 25 years old. He played 30 games this year with Grand Rapids, only had one goal and four assists. So up there, you know, he's not going to be the playmaker that he is at this level. But check out what he's done in Toledo during the regular season. 16 goals and 40 points in just 38 games, and he was plus 27. In the playoffs, six games, he's got five goals and 11 points. He's been tearing it up on the power play. Uh, I believe it is five power play goals that he has. I'm sorry, he's got eight power play points and five power play goals. So he is just tearing it up on special teams. We just talked about how important that is for Toledo, but that is a thing with them. Uh, you know, it used to be if you could cut, if you could contain a guy like Brandon Hawkins and maybe one or two other guys, you were good. But now you got to worry about all these guys that came down from the AHL. Trenton Bliss is the big one that is really tearing it up right now. So, you know, right now he might be the, the hottest player in the league. Before we uh, sign off, let's get a bit of an update on the South Division, the Wild Wild South and what's been going on in the playoffs so far. Absolutely. So that series right now is two to nothing Florida. Those are the defending champions who uh, were the fourth seed in the division. They went into Jacksonville and won five to two and then four to three. Uh, You know, it's not just about the goaltending. I feel like the goaltending really bailed them out during the first round, but I watched a a lot of game two and they are doing a lot of nice things. Uh, The thing that's surprising me a little bit is Jacksonville is not playing real physical. Like I was expecting the South to be a lot more physical during the playoffs, and I have not seen that so far. But Florida, I mean, it just goes to show you what a team with experience, what a team with resiliency, what a team that is the defending champions, what they could do. They're not going to be afraid of anything. They knocked off uh, South Carolina in the first round. We know South Carolina is who I had winning the whole thing, and now they've really got – the Iceman on the ropes with a two nothing lead going back to Estero, Florida. So, you know, Florida, you know, they're going to be a dangerous team that nobody wants to meet in that next round, whether it's Newfoundland or Reddick. Good stuff, Justin, any closing thoughts, final uh, bonus to pick with people. Well, uh, well, I'd like to show you, this is my newest bobblehead. It's actually not even a bobblehead. It is a, a bobble toothbrush holder, courtesy of the Cincinnati Cyclones. So I thought you'd enjoy that because I know you've seen the bobblehead collection. This is now number 105. Show my the camera again. I got to see it. We get another look at that. Yeah. Sorry. My, my light's a little, a little bright there, but it, that is, awesome. that is Twister. So the Cyclones have two uh, mascots, which I sort of love. One is Twister. He's obviously a Cyclone. The other is Puck Chop, who is a big, uh, uh, he's a, well, he's a, he's a, he's a pig because Cincinnati is the city where pigs fly. Uh, now legend has it that there is a bobblehead this is probably the bobblehead that i have sought the most and failed to find which is there is a puck chop bobblehead where he has a bobbling belly it's not a bobbling head it's a bobbling belly and i have not got that one so uh my question is i I don't know do i put it when i put this on display do i need to actually put two toothbrushes in there i was thinking otherwise it just looks like he's like I, I was thinking I could maybe grab some hockey sticks from like a spare bobblehead and put two hockey sticks in there. It might look a little cool. Like that. that would make more sense. Why is it more if Yeah, yeah, I don't know. But maybe I, maybe maybe toothbrush will just be weird enough that I should just keep that. I don't, oh, I, don't I love know. it. Yeah, you gotta keep it the way it is. 
um all right so i think for this week we're we're gonna wrap her up all right good stuff all right thanks for joining us folks we'll see you next where will we be in the playoffs next week uh next week we should be just about finishing up the division finals so uh let me see here yeah yeah those will run through may 16th actually may 17th potentially but, you know, like we said, some of these series are moving along pretty quickly. So that one that ends on the 17th, that's Toledo-Cincinnati. But right now, Toledo is, is rolling on all cylinders. So uh, we should be at least getting a good idea who we're going to see in the conference finals next week. Sweet. Looking forward to that. Thanks, Justin. And thank you to everyone listening. Till next time, folks.